Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. The world is on edge after Russian President Vladimir Putin announced that he is mobilizing at least 300,000 troops for war in Ukraine. And he is warning that he is not bluffing with a potential nuclear threat. Now, all of this comes after a major counteroffensive that has been successful by Ukrainian forces in recent weeks. And after a big week with many world leaders descending upon New York for the United Nations General Assembly. And joining us now to discuss all of this is Victoria Coates. She is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation and also President Trump's former deputy national security advisor. Victoria, great to have you here on the podcast. Rita, always wonderful to be with you. You know, this is really scary stuff. And when you hear somebody like Vladimir Putin, who has a history of committing evil deeds, saying, I'm not bluffing about nuclear weapons, potentially, what are your thoughts? I think we have to pay very close attention. And I just have your listeners cast their mind back a couple of years to the 2017-2018 timeframe when Bashar al-Assad, who's basically you know protected by Putin, in Syria used chemical weapons twice under the Trump administration. They'll recall he also did it under the Obama administration and Obama didn't do anything. But the Trump administration did. Trump took two strikes on Syria. (laughs) For a while we were saying it was our annual exercise because we did it in April 17 and April 18, but then he knocked it off because he knew that if he did it, there were going to be serious repercussions. Putin has watched all that. So he's now talking about potentially deploying another weapon of mass destruction, nuclear weapon. He knows that if President Trump were in office, he would face serious repercussions. But he's probably assessing he would get the same thing from Biden that he got from Obama. In other words, maybe nothing potentially happens? No. And, you know, I was working for Senator Cruz when the quote unquote red line was crossed. And what Obama does now is he blames it on Congress. He says the Congress wouldn't give him authority to strike. What we established in the Trump administration is if there's an incident like that and you want to take a retaliatory strike, it is within the president's Article II authorities to do so. And President Obama never sent the Congress anything to vote on one way or the other. They sent us a message saying, tell us what you'll authorize. Like, it's not our business to tell you what to authorize. You know, so I would see the Biden administration going into the same very defensive crouch and not wanting to do anything serious, which would send Putin the message to knock it off. Now, let me ask you, when you say that, send a message for him to knock it off. Would that stop him? do you think? Or would that only embolden him? No, I think if it were from somebody he respected and somebody he knew were serious, and then that would be someone like President Trump, because you can look back at Putin's aggression. He went into Georgia at the tail end of the George W. Bush administration when President Bush was very weakened by Iraq. He went in, claimed an ex-Crimea under President Obama. And then suddenly there were no outbursts under President Trump. And now under President Biden, we have the invasion of Ukraine. So in many ways, what President Trump was doing was 
advancing a policy of peace through strength. Putin knew he was serious. What are, to my mind, apocryphal rumors that President Trump told him he would bomb Moscow if Putin invaded Ukraine. But, you know, that's kind of hyperbole. But Putin knew there would be very serious consequences to any kind of action like this, and he didn't do it. And instead, now, you know, we have this really dangerous situation where we know he doesn't respect the president of the United States. He doesn't fear him. And, you know, to date, has not seen the United States take the truly crushing measures we could take to win the war in Ukraine. So do you believe that Vladimir Putin sees President Biden as weak and may capitalize on that and may do something sadly dangerous, even more than he's already done? I think the invasion of Ukraine, Rita, is proof positive that that's the case. He wouldn't have done it otherwise. Now, the good news, if there is good news in this scenario, is clearly he miscalculated. And what he miscalculated on was the will of the Ukrainian people to fight back for their country, that they do have a nationalistic spirit. They do consider themselves something more than just part of greater Russia. They do have aspirations for better relations, both with Europe and you know, the United States and the West. And you know, they are winning. But what's shameful about it, from my perspective, is you are seeing the weapons that were transferred to them in the late summer, the HIMARS, for example, which are much in the news. There are others making this strategic difference. Why didn't we give them those in March when they demonstrated that they weren't going to crumble in three days? Why wasn't this wrapped up by June, which clearly it might have been had the United States been more forthcoming? And, you know, that gives me a lot of concern. Absolutely. And you think about had we built up that military might, Victoria Coates, I also wonder what would have happened if Joe Biden, first off, didn't pull out of Afghanistan the way that he pulled out? Because I think that sent a signal also to Vladimir Putin. It absolutely did. And I think you can draw a straight line from that. And if you'll give me one little divergence, the other thing I think that happened after Afghanistan is you had the entire administration up to and including the president fly over to Glasgow last November for the United Nations Climate Change Summit. And the Russians and the Chinese sent nobody senior. We sent the president, the vice president, secretary of energy. Everybody was there on their private planes, belching fumes all the way. And what the Russians and the Chinese sent were low-level delegations saying they didn't take this seriously. And I think that Putin looked at that combined with Afghanistan, and he said, these people are not serious. They prioritize climate change over security. And I think that's when he thought he really had an opportunity to go into Ukraine. And as I said, thank heavens for the brave Ukrainians who weren't willing to just roll over and take it. But that's certainly not because of anything the administration did. Also, don't you think Afghanistan in particular, leaving all the weapons behind, billions of dollars worth of equipment prior even, as you mentioned, to Glasgow, where you see all of that stuff left behind in now terrorist hands, and now you've got, sadly, one of the most well-equipped terrorist groups there in Afghanistan using American weapons. I, I never understood why we didn't at least take as much as we could on some of those planes. Oh, absolutely. And don't get me started on that topic. Again, President Trump understood this. And part some of his conditions for Afghanistan 
were, I mean, he didn't want to leave a bullet behind. He said repeatedly in the press, we're not going to leave a single thing behind if we go. And the other thing he understood was the importance of these strategic air bases that we rebuilt in both Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think we've talked about this. I was with him at Al-Assad in Christmas of 18 when he went to Iraq. And that's the base west of Baghdad. And he was really impressed by it. He said, why would we ever give this up? I said, sir, we, we never would. I consider the sovereign U.S. territory paid for by the treasure and blood of the American people. And he totally grasped what was going on at that base. And same thing with Bagram outside of Kabul, that, you know, this is the last thing you give up. So, you know, I think none of this would have happened the way, it, I mean, in all humility, I'm sure we would have made our own mistakes, but it would not have happened like this. And the humiliation that was handed to the United States and the utter fecklessness of the administration, we're going to be reaping the consequences of this for another decade. And there are still Americans there. There are still our allies there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We left people behind, both American citizens who had various reasons that they could, either couldn't get to the airport in time or had family considerations that prevented them from leaving. And then the administration takes a victory lap because the head of al-Qaeda is killed in what had been a USAID villa in Kabul, living openly. He moved in right after the fall of Kabul. So the minute the Americans were gone, the al-Qaeda folk came swirling back in up to their senior leadership, completely confident in their relationships with the Taliban. The Biden administration thought that was a great victory. I'm delighted he's dead. But at the same time, you wonder who else is lurking there. That's a name we haven't learned yet. One thousand percent. And how frightening that, as you said, he was right there out in the open, hanging out in the porch, you know, Mm -hmm. just with his family and others. Right. Having coffee. That really is just a testament to them and the way that they view, you know, security. Thank goodness. Again, we do have the greatest military in the world. I want to ask you also about further things that sort of built up to where we are with Russia, Ukraine. A lot of people also go back to President Biden's comment when early on in the press conference, people were saying, well, you know, what will you do? Will you go after, you know, and protect Ukraine against Russia? And remember, he made that sort of famous and now infamous comment, basically, well, if there's a minor incursion, we're not really sure. Did he provide sort of, you know, just murky grayness? And did that also fuel Vladimir Putin to say, well, if I can get away with the minor incursion, then okay. I think it absolutely did. And that press conference was one of two things that Biden did in January of 22 that I think Putin, again, given these other things that had happened at the end of 21, gave him great confidence this was going to be just like the annexation of Crimea. The other thing was on January 15th, which I think was a week before that press conference, Biden personally went up to the Hill to lobby Democrat senators against voting for Senator Cruz's Nord Stream 2 sanction. And Nord Stream 2, for anyone who is smart enough not to follow this stuff in enormous detail, is the second Russian pipeline going directly into Europe that bypasses Ukraine and has created the horrible dependency of Europe on Russian gas and oil that we're now seeing in the European energy crisis. But Senator Cruz had 
legislation with bipartisan support to sanction Nord Stream 2. President Trump had signed that into law. President Biden had to let it lapse. This is like ping pong. Senator Cruz reintroduced it, and the same bipartisan group that had supported it before was ready to support it again until the president went up and whipped against a U- an American senator for Russia. And, you know, then we saw those sanctions lapse again, not pass into law. And I think Putin just thought he had a straight line to it. Yeah, and it's also coming at the same time, and you understand this as a deputy national security advisor so well, Victoria, it comes where we're cutting off also our own energy supplies. I mean, we're stopping, you know, the drilling, we're stopping the pipelines, we're doing all these things, and yet we're allowing more free reign at the time to Russia. It really basically teed them up to benefit and put us at such a detriment. It's terrible. I had the opportunity to go out to North Dakota at the beginning of last week and visit the oil patch out there. Visit. I know this is going to come as a shock to people, an actual clean coal mine, which generates electricity, which is actually what saved California when they had their mishap a couple of weeks ago. And the oil people, the coal people, the natural gas people to a man told me and a woman told me every day we get something from Washington that slows us down, that prevents us from producing, that raises our costs, we then have to pass along to consumers. And this is what is driving prices up on everything from what you pay for at the pump to your electricity bill. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, I assume everyone who's listening to this is getting those gobsmacking bills every month and it's gonna get worse as we get into winter. For those of us who live in the colder states, it's really just extraordinary that in the name of a truly extreme sort of idolization of climate, that we would do this to the American people. Because to my read, it is perfectly possible to have a responsible climate policy and have plentiful energy for all Americans, which can mostly be produced here at home. We don't have to be dependent. And the administration is trying to make us dependent, like Germany. And I contend we could have actually not only been energy dominant, we could have been selling. You think about what's about to happen in Europe, where they are so worried of a cold winter, how they're going to get by as they've been trying to minimize their dependence on Russian oil and cut it out in many cases, too, as well, thank goodness. But... They could be served by America. Think about not only would we be able to take care of ourselves and be much more economically sound, we'd be able to sell it to Europe. We'd be able to give them an alternative, and it would have helped our economy. I mean, it's just, it's insanity. I will paraphrase a former boss who shall be renamed nameless and just say we could both make friends and make a little money. If the Biden administration had simply left the Trump administration policies in place, do nothing, just do no harm. We would be in such a position now, and I think we would not have seen you know, these crazy spikes in prices. I think you would have seen countries like Saudi Arabia and UAE be interested in more coordination with the United States rather than coordination with countries like Russia, Venezuela, and Iran. You, know, you would have us in a leadership position on global energy. And instead, you know, the prices are so high and our production is such that you know, they're talking about an export ban. That would be terrible if we suddenly can't export energy you know, to Europe. I was talking to a colleague in Bulgaria, of all places today, who said they were so grateful that the United States was able to surge a couple of, of tankers of natural gas to them 
earlier in the summer when Russia cut off their supplies. What a great way to do diplomacy. We're not sending troops. We're not sending weapons. We're sending natural gas. We're turning on the lights. We're heating people's homes. And that's the way you project American power. But they've taken that away from us. The good news is we can get it back, but it's going to take time and it's going to cost a lot. Absolutely. One thousand percent. I also have to get your reaction, Victoria, especially to President Biden's speech this week. What did you make of his speech before the United Nations General Assembly? He had some strong words for Russia, but a lot of people felt he should have gone further. And then on the flip side, he spent a lot of time talking about, you know, green energy and climate and all that, almost putting the same emphasis as he put on Russia. What were your thoughts? I thought it was an embarrassment. We had several, and I was up for a couple of days this week to support the United Against a Nuclear Iran, which will be a topic for another podcast, which we were finally back in person to have that very important meeting hosted by Senator Lieberman. But the president's speech, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. And I agree some of his language on Russia was fine, but it wasn't matched with actions. And I think if we have a United Nations Security Council member threatening nuclear strikes in Europe, and there's literally nothing we can do about it, you have to question the usefulness of the United Nations. Because I asked several experts, and we have some wonderful ones at Heritage, what is the mechanism? What if they do it? There is no mechanism. They have an ironclad veto. So they can strike Europe with nuclear weapons and continue to sit on the Security Council. I just have to question the value there. And then in the president's speech, there was both the green energy and something related, which was his language on China, which is this isn't a new Cold War. We seek partnership. We come in peace. That's nice. But if your goal is to get to some kind of climate deal with President Xi, you know, that is just going to be, I mean, talk about a Pyrrhic victory. A, Xi's not going to honor it. He's busily building coal-fired electricity plants everywhere he can dig a hole. And, you know, B, they don't care. You know, they're not going to cooperate with you on this or anything else. I mean, you can say you don't want a new Cold War. Well, China's fighting. They've declared it in several cases. And as much as you may not want it, it is real. And I think it is something all folks, or let's put it this way, the vast majority of Americans, I would say all Republicans from all different sides of conservatism understand this. And I would also say the vast majority of Democrats understand this, that you can't domesticate this China, not this Chinese government. You know, we could certainly in the future envision a happier place where we can have a more friendly relationship with the Chinese people, but not this regime, not this president. And saying anything but that with just clarion clarity from the podium of the United Nations opens the United States up for a world of hurt. How would you rate his comments on Russia, the comments that President Biden made before the U.N. General Assembly? In the abstract, I mean, just looking at words on paper, they're probably it's the right thing to say, a six or a seven. But the problem is, Rita, you know, when asked what his strategy is or what his intentions are, all he'll say is, I'll do whatever it takes for as long as it takes. Like, that's not a strategy if you haven't defined where you're going. You know, that's just a dodge. 
And until he levels with the American people and he's spending their money hand over fist on a whole range of things that I know you and I disagree with, I actually support lethal military aid to Ukraine. But I would like to know how that, you know, what is the goal? What are we doing to achieve the goal? And then I want to keep a laser eye on the reconstruction because the one thing that President Zelensky has said that I really disagree with is earlier this summer, he said on a podcast, it's on YouTube, that he's totally open to China being part of the reconstruction. Like, you know, that's a hard stop because I do not want U.S. taxpayer dollars funding some state-owned Chinese entity that, you know, he's given a contract to rebuild the Kiev subway or anything else, you know, a communication system. There were very credible stories about how Huawei, which was in Ukraine systems, may have been used for surveillance in the beginning of the war effort. So, you know, we have to make sure that whatever the Biden administration is doing on Russia, particularly as it comes to the reconstruction, we are watching those dollars very, very closely. They're not going to climate. They're not going to China. They're going to actually making, you know, Ukraine a functioning, uncorrupt partner that can have closer relationships with Europe and the West. And where do you see everything headed with Russia and Ukraine in the near future and potentially, you know, weeks, months down the road? Well, I I mean, what I would like to see and what I think now is possible, which I wouldn't have said to you a month ago, is, you know, Zelensky is right. They can win. And he should be talking about the future of Ukraine and you know, what's potential you know, post-war. And I would hope the conversations between you know, that government and their American counterparts are, OK, what do you need? And then how do we prevent this from happening again? With rebuilding Ukraine, how do we you know, rebuild Ukrainian industry so that we don't have these catastrophic shortages of ammunition, this sort of thing? You know, you can produce it in-house. You can produce it to NATO specifications. I'm not saying they would be NATO members, but they could be a provider, given their industrial base, for NATO countries in the region. So there are all sorts of things that could happen. Unfortunately, the administration just seems so distracted by domestic politics. And, you know, they think they've got a political winner with abortion, so that's all they want to talk about is, you know, murdering unborn babies which doesn't seem like a great winner to me, but what do I know about domestic policies? But they just seem so distracted. I don't think they're focused on wrapping this thing up so we can, by Christmas, say, okay, we won. They lost, to paraphrase Reagan. So, you know, this is a great victory for the West. It's a great victory for Ukraine. And let Russia do a whole lot of soul-searching in the new year. Absolutely. And I agree with you, by the way. Throw everything we can to help Ukraine. They have shown unbelievable courage, unbelievable dedication. And we need to be all in to protect them and defend them and give them the freedom that they absolutely deserve. Well, everybody, don't forget to subscribe and also share this podcast and all of our great, great podcasts here. And Victoria Coates, I just want to thank you so much for all you do to protect America and for everything you do for global security as well. It is so great to have your valuable insight, especially on such an important, important topic. It's a pleasure to visit with you, Rita, anytime. 
And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight, on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.